Okay, welcome back. Man, we are here again with the Text Lab. This is Jake, and on the couch today, we have David Kroll. Dude, it's been a while, so it's good to be back, it's man. It's been a while. It's great to have you back here. Uh, today, what's new in your life, man? Dude, well, your haircut is looking really good. That's Thank not you. my Thank life. Thank you. But I would love to talk about it yeah. for a while, for about 10 minutes. Where'd you get that haircut, Jake? Dude, I got this haircut uh, last night from a sophomore boy. There you go. During our small group. Because you know what? Here at Vintage Grace, we are a relationally driven church. <laughs> and uh, you know what builds relationships? <laughs> Letting a sophomore boy cut your Haircuts. hair. Haircuts. Yeah. Dude, maybe that'll launch like his barber career. Like maybe you never know. It, it was real. Honestly, look look at it. It's not. It looks good. It's not that bad. He it's cut like bad. my ear super bad right there. <laughs> so maybe like, painful. But... Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. But it was good. Dude, love it, man. Love yeah. it. So, yeah. Should we do this? Yeah, we could just jump in. All right, let's we could just do it. Okay, great. So here's where we're gonna be. We're gonna be in Romans, but first, this is the text lab where every single week we're gonna do a deep dive into the text to help you prepare for your life group this week. And our goal is simple: it's to help you be a disciple who makes disciples. And so whether you're leading a life group or you're just here hanging out and doing a deep dive on your own, our hope is that the text lab would help you have a meaningful study, reflection, and conversation about what God has said in His Word. Okay, we are gonna be in Romans. 8. 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's so good. Uh, from here, it's really good that we get some proper context, understanding who Paul is, where he's writing from, where he's writing to. So yeah, the author is Paul. Uh, he was Saul, converted on the road to Damascus, had a personal experience with Jesus there, and is writing from the church of Corinth into the uh, Roman church, the house churches here, who would then build further. He longs to come to Rome, but he hasn't been able to yet. And he's on his third missional journey while he is writing this. It's said to be that he's writing around AD 57 to 58, and he wants to present a comprehensive explanation of the gospel and its implications. And that's kind of what we've seen in Romans, which is, has been cool, is we've seen a really uh, solid theology laid from the ground up from chapter one all the way through to here in chapter eight, where he's finally getting into some of the Trinity stuff, some of the spirit working in our lives, some more of seeing, okay, the father has predestined this. Jesus has kind of executed this. Mm -hmm. And now the spirit is dwelling within us. And they're all in this dance together, working beautifully for our good. And Paul is laying that foundation. Yeah. And I think like to remember, we've hit this kind of continually, just the real diversity that would have been in their yeah. town, in their spiritual religious context. Like the, there was an official Roman religion that the, the state um, basically kind of like spread that was focused on mm. worshiping traditional Romans God gods, but the empire also like had a lot of different cults in it and a lot of different like varied religions and spiritual beliefs. And so like part of what Paul is doing is really 
um, addressing their unity and their relationships together, but he is trying to make some very specific points about who Christ is, about Mm -hmm. what Christ has done, about who God is, to really clarify for them what it is God's character and nature. What does it mean to believe and follow Jesus that would have differentiated it from either just these Roman pagan religions or lots of different like little spinoffs that were going on. So like he's writing to like, sometimes I think we, we look back at the first century and think like it was simple. It wasn't complex. No, it would have been this complex kind of crazy religious landscape, spiritual landscape that they were in. And Paul's writing to really clarify that. Um, And you see a lot of the problems he's addressing is coming from either the confusion vertically, theologically, or there being disunity horizontally, which is kind of our main theme of this series, unity in Christ. Well, it's really good too, because like what you're saying is he's giving truth about who Christ is and he's giving theology there. But what you're saying also is like, he is uh, dispersing and like denying some of the things that they're believing. You know what I mean? He is addressing specific beliefs, not only in Rome, but in Corinth, you know, like Mm -hmm. thinking about the religions there, he is saying things not just to inform, but also to argue against like certain things as well, which is really interesting. Yeah. I think you see like even looking at, at the text, specifically even starting with for verse 14, like just talking about continuing to be led by the spirit mm. um, as those who are children of God. This is kind of a big identity statement that Paul makes here. This whole section of Romans five through eight is kind of this breakdown of now, what does it mean to be in the spirit versus to be in the flesh? Mm. Romans one through seven has really all been leading up to this. Uh, really starting in verse five, chapter five and chapter six, seven, and continuing in eight of now, what does it mean to walk in the way of the spirit versus walking in the way of the flesh? Paul really kind of set the table through for the, for those first seven, even four or five chapters of Romans of just like the universally versatility of everybody being in sin, everybody needing mm. a savior, um, that level setting the table of a, hey, every single person is a sinner. And what you really need is the righteousness of God, not the mm. righteousness of Abraham, not anything that you can do on your own, but it's through justification by faith through Christ that you now are in this unity with Christ. And that now being the core of your identity, the core of who you are in Christ and now being led by the spirit versus being led by the flesh. Yeah, totally. And what's interesting here also is I want to, it's a quick, just a quick hitter for me. It's really, I want to make it clear that it, like, this isn't just like a, a theological statement. It is, it is so much so, but like, this is actually just reality. Mm. Like this isn't a story about something. This mm. is like you and I, David, me, Hannah sitting in the room. Like this is true about us. This is yeah. true about them. This is a reality that we are unable to approach the throne of God without Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we, it's really important that when we're reading this like almost systematic theology of sin or this uh, doctrine of sin, this doctrine of salvation, justification, they can become words, but really we need to ingrain them in our lives and understand them, not just on the page, but also in our relationships with each other and our relationship with, with God and with the yet to believe. Yeah. Yep. And, lo- and looking at 14, going into 15, where he says like, you're led now by the by the spirit of God, that means you're children of God and the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear, Mm. but rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. I think it's just like important to see and recognize like how there are these things that are 
real concrete things the Holy Spirit is doing and has done. And now that that's all by the Spirit, I mean, I think the it's over like 25 times that he mentions the Spirit in Romans mm. 8. Yeah, just and that chapter. Just that chapter alone. Yeah. And he'd only mentioned the Spirit a few times in chapter 7, chapter 6 mm-hmm. before. But like now this is like the big Holy Spirit section. And what the Spirit does is it comes and it changes your identity and it changes now this new life that you have that you're not living and walking by the flesh, but you're living and walking by the Spirit. And like that says in verse 15, that the Spirit drives out fear. Um, The Spirit you received has brought about your adoption. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father, which kind of is this term that has a lot of depth and very intimate meaning between us and God. Yeah, it's so good. And remembering last week that we were talking about who is the Spirit. This is the same Spirit that rose Christ from the grave. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that alongside this verse of no, it's not a spirit of fear. Yeah. Like the immense power, the the power of God himself is now indwelling within you. It's mm. like this mystery of him doing And yeah, this idea of us being able to up the spirit actually crying that within us. Yep. That it's actually far better for Christ to go back to heaven so that we could have the spirit. It's better to have the spirit within us um, because it changes us and it gets us into that place. And I think it really is, if we contextualize it into our context, it can, Abba can be Papa, it can be Daddy, it can be the way that we... and show these readers that this is an intimate and a father-son relationship. Um, And what can be so hard maybe sometimes in our context is uh, when our, you know, fathers aren't, good images of God, of who, what that looks like. And that can be a good space with, with you leading life groups this week of just step in there and be, be aware that like, uh, family lines aren't sometimes what they're supposed to be. That's, that's all right. But the beauty is that God is that perfect father. And that when we cry out, when the spirit cries out, it's towards you. Um, yeah, and that term Abba Father, it's actually an Aramaic term, and it does exactly what you just said. Like it expresses this deep sense of familiarity and affection and intimacy. It can be translated as father or daddy, and really just emphasizing that closeness that we have with God, which really even thinking about their Jewish religious structure would have been quite shocking on their ears. They would not ever have thought about. God as a close, yeah, familiar really being and yeah. person that they were close with. But I think that is building off of now Paul's kind of whole theology of the Holy Spirit here mm-hmm. that's coming into play where it's like, no, now you have been brought near through the Spirit. Now through the Spirit, you are a child of God, that there is that closeness. Um, you're able to have that type of access to God the Father, and you now walk in this intimate, trusting relationship with him that really reflects that closeness, that dependency on God. And then even that, he he flows into verse 16 there, because now you're adopted as children, there's a reward for that. There is this implication, really this gospel implication, that you are now an heir with Christ, Mm -hmm. Um, which really has a lot to do with a present reality of joy and life in the spirit that you can now inherit, but one that will continue for all of eternity of 
being an heir with Christ, of receiving in his inheritance because of what he's done on the cross. Yeah, and it's important to understand their context also. It's so good, David, of of adoption. Mm-hmm. Like what is adoption in their context? Sometimes I think we even think of adoption as like a less than yeah. like um thing, but in their in their context, um man, adoption was exactly if not maybe even more valuable yeah. than like having your own son, having your own daughter because they are saying specifically, I'm choosing you. I'm giving you my robe. I'm giving you my home. I'm giving you my yeah. like family line, my family mm-hmm. name. I'm you're a, you're an inheritor of everything that I am. And so when God does this, when the father says that you've been adopted, he's saying specifically that, no, David, I have chosen you. Mm. You are chosen by God. Mm -hmm. Um, You are good enough. You are enough um, because God has, has chosen you. He has pulled you from that. And it's not a, it's almost sweeter that we're not in, we're not naturally inheriting it, but that Mm. he stoops so low to say, no, I want you. Yeah. God actually wants you. Yeah. And like people need to hear that. Mm-hmm. People need to hear that they're actually sometimes the language of saying you're adopted by Christ is like, what the heck does that right. mean? Right. You know what I mean? Right. But to know that we're actually adopted by Christ is really in our day language that says you have been chosen by mm-hmm. God. You're not good enough, but God in Jesus, like now you are good enough and God has chosen you. And because he has chosen you now, now you're good enough. Yeah. Which you're I think wanted. is a huge gospel invocation because it's like when you start walking along those lines, you start like recognizing the reality of just this identity that you now have in Christ that like, what's the core piece of your identity? What's the truest thing about you? Well, like you are chosen by Christ as Mm. his child. Like this Holy spirit lives in you. And like, there's a difference between doing Christian things and going to church and checking boxes versus the reality of the gospel Mm. starting to grow and transforming every single aspect of your entire life, every single aspect of your identity that like, Oh, this is who I am. This is who I am, that I'm a child of God, that the spirit lives in me, that I can live and walk with this intimacy with the father. Um, And a lot of times people, it feels like, don't ever realize that. Like, I think Satan's trying to do everything he can to stop people from realizing that because once you realize that it's not about church anymore, it's not about right. being a good person anymore. It's not about checking a box. It's about living out of a new identity. Abiding. It's about abiding in Christ yeah. and Christ in you and you in Christ. And that is something that changes everything about your life. That's something yeah. that is a trajectory change in a paradigm flip of recognizing the reality of who you are as a child of God yeah. and the life that now Christ is inviting you into. That only comes when you recognize your new identity that is in Christ as his child. Yeah. And it shifts exactly what you're saying. I'm reading this book right now called Beholding, which I would recommend. Yeah. It's about prayer, about like mm. divine prayer. And t- it's talking about the difference between like uh, intercession, like praying for others, praying for your, you know, whatever your circumstance, your gap, whatever you're in. And uh, the prayer of just like contempl- contemplative prayer of just sitting there, of, of beholding God. Yeah. Um, and it has this really great analogy. And I think it, it applies also to our lives with God when we understand that we are chosen in him and held in his hand by Christ. Yeah. And it's the idea that like, there's this river, right? And it's flowing. If you go to Salmon Falls Bridge, I love to just sit there and watch yeah. the, the, even the leaves just drift through mm-hmm. that river because what we're doing is we are 
in that river, either in a kayak or in a canoe. And we're either paddling or we're just letting the river take us Mm -hmm. through. And I think that's a really good image of what life in the spirit looks like, what it looks like to be led by the spirit, because so much of it is just trusting that the river's going to go, man. Mm -hmm. And there might be rapids and there might be times when it's really slow and you you know, you've got a, you got a beer in your hand and you're just floating down the (laughs) river, you know what I mean? And you're relaxing and you are beholding God. You're looking to the left and to the right and seeing the beauty of his creation. Mm -hmm. Then there's other times when you do need to paddle, when you do need to um, paddle towards prayer, paddle towards, that's what intercession is, is Mm -hmm. what the book is saying. It's like praying for others and you're paddling towards certain things um, there. But I think that idea for us as life group leaders, us today is what life in the spirit really looks like is we're on this river and so much of the time I'm trying to like, like backpack. Yeah. Up river, but it's mm-hmm. like, no, we just need to let God be in control and walk in step with the spirit because he's leading us somewhere. Yeah. And sometimes we just got to chill out and behold him. Yeah. Dude, I love everything about that picture because you start to realize in that moment that, no, oh, this is the spirit who's doing the work. This mm-hmm. is God who is doing the work. I'm just being led along by him. Right. Not, okay, I got to go make something happen. Yeah. Because otherwise it's nothing's going to happen or it's dependent yeah. on me. And it's like such a kind of like individualized American way of thinking about this thing where it's like, well, is God going to do anything or not? I better like help him out. Mm-hmm. And it's just that couldn't be further from the truth where it's like, no, God's doing all these different things. He's just inviting us to be led by his spirit, to trust in him, to rest in him, to follow the spirit as he leads. Like mm-hmm. your identity is firm in him. It is secure in him. The spirit is in you now. Just rest in the spirit. Follow the flow of the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the spirit moves, drink from that living water, dwell in that, um, which I think really like is a cool kind of just like even like soul care implication from this text is like, what does that look like just to sit and be with God and even just be mindful and mm-hmm. reflect on the reality of your identity in Christ. I think for me personally, that's been one of the most like transformative things in my walk with Christ is like just trying each and every day to remember really some of these like promises of Romans eight, particularly Romans eight, 14 here of like, this is who I am in Christ today. Is that like, I am a child of God. Like that's the truest thing about you. It's not that you're like a successful coach. It's not that you're a successful lawyer or dentist or teacher or dad or mom or son or daughter or anything else. It's like you're a son and daughter of the King. And like you are his child. That is your identity. And when you start living with that type of identity, it changes everything as you walk through all those other roles and pieces of your life. But really, like, as we're in these sections, even for our life group leaders, like taking some time to sit and just dwell in this text and in this passage and in, okay, what are the implications here of like my identity that's in Christ fully, that, that is fully, um, in him and a child of him. I think like that's a great question even to talk with your life group. Like how can we practically live out our identity as children of God? Like how, what does that just mean? Like how does that change the way you live if you live with like kind of that mindset is, is a just great question to even ask and talk about uh, this week with your group and really even connecting that to like this intimacy that you have. Like since we can call God Abba Father, like what's the significance of that? How does that change your prayer life when you are interacting with God talking to him as your Abba father, like recognizing the truth of being God's child and that intimacy that's there starts to change everything. Yeah. And asking those questions of like, how can we practically live out our identity there? And what this actually looks like, I think for me personally is really in that, um, get away, be silent. Yeah. Think about this. And to say practically, what can we practically take from this text? Cause 
hearing that from me, I'm like, oh, I get to do something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But totally. the whole gospel so far has been like, you've done everything wrong. <laughs> We've done everything wrong. <laughs> right. And like, but God has made a way back where there was yeah. no other way. And yeah. so now what do we do practically with this? Yeah. And I encourage you to just sit and let let God be God and like, let him mm. soften your heart with this text. Yep. Sit in this text. I sit on the roof of, of my house and I just look over at Folsom, Cameron Park, all the, the sunrise, the sunsets. I have so many questions about getting on the roof of Bro, your house, but come over, another I'll show podcast. You. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be the intro next week. But anyways, <laughs> but sitting there and really letting that text soak in there is, is so important. So for life group leaders, dig the well deep this week. Like the deeper you go, the deeper you can take people, take people there. Love it, dude. Love it. Hey, well, whether you are working out at the gym, cleaning the house or mowing the lawn, driving the car, whatever you like to do when you listen to podcasts, we hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text with your group this week. Yeah. And as always, do your own prep. Walk in the spirit. Let the spirit lead you this week and know that you are one who is sent by God this week to your family, your school, your work, your coffee shop, to the gym and to soccer practice. Wherever your Pray Watch community might be and wherever God invites you to go, you are sent to be the living proof of our loving God. We love you all. We'll catch you next time on The Text Lab.